0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Welcome in Jake everybody. Cow, episode who, A, NASCAR icon Dale Jr. Podcast, American, is on June. The Their Tour Sports Podcast. Yeah. It is Thursday, February 29th here on YouTube. Maybe Friday, March 1st, 2024, on YouTube. Uh, or if you're downloading on podcasts, but I do hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody enjoyed all of February. Your leap Thursday. And as John Rothstein likes to say, this is March, baby. We are basically here, and you are listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, who a listener by the name of Casey Mattis22 described as, Torres might be the most underrated college basketball MF to do podcast. Put that on a t-shirt. Thank you, Casey. Torres might be the most underrated college basketball MF to do podcast. And we got ourselves a loaded show today. And really, we're going to hit on a few topics that I don't think any other show will do. And I have a feeling these are two topics that I'll sound crazy talking about today, but give it a couple weeks, and I think I might look actually pretty smart for doing so. Those topics. I want to start Wednesday night. Dalton Connect, the star transfer from, ten, uh, from Northern Colorado to Tennessee. 39 points against Auburn. And I'm just here to ask. Should Dolan Connect be getting more national championship love or national player of the year love? Excuse me. I think it's a conversation worth having, even if he probably won't get it. From there, we'll talk a little bit about Tuesday night's hero, Reed Shepard. I asked the question, I got a lot of feedback, a lot of pushback. But should Reed Shepard, with all those NIL opportunities, could he consider coming back to another year at Kentucky? We'll talk about that. Then we will preview a loaded, loaded weekend in college hoops. Four ranked matchups plus a ton of other good ones. We got Michigan State, Purdue. We got St. Mary's, Gonzaga on top of Alabama, Tennessee. On top of Creighton, Marquette. On top of uh, South Carolina and Florida. So loaded weekend. And finally, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right where Aaron was wrong. Hitting on my best and worst takes of the week. Before we get started, a quick reminder: I do want to thank our new partners, BetUS Sportsbook and the BetUS Sportsbook app. When I am when I let me tell just say this: when I tell you that BetUS has the best offer going online right now, I'm here to tell you there is no better offer going. How about this from BetUS? BetUS right now is matching a hundred and twenty-five percent of your first. To quote LeBron James, not one, not two, but three deposits. So you deposit hundred bucks, they give you hundred twenty-five. You lose all that, it's okay. Deposit another hundred, they give you hundred twenty-five. Up to two thousand dollars for your first three deposits. Bet US Sportsbook and the Bet US Sportsbook app. We're happy to be working with them. Proud to be working with them. All March Madness, and if you want to take advantage of that opportunity, do your boy Torres a favor. Click the link right there in the show description with that said it is a busy week in college hoops by the way there was a couple football topics we're inching towards that 14 team playoff we'll save that for another day no negativity here on a friday when it comes to the sports we love so with that said there is no more time to waste and let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day is look the last time we recorded was late tuesday night into wednesday When we were talking about a crazy night in college hoops, Kentucky wins at the buzzer against Mississippi State, Kansas loses at home to BYU, et cetera, et cetera. I bring it up because we have not spoken. We have not recorded. We have not talked since the Wednesday night college hoop slate. Why do I bring it up? We had a lot of good games, but there was one game and one player in specific that unquestionably stole all of college basketball spotlight and headlines on Wednesday. That was Tennessee for Dalton connect, who of course, everybody knows a fifth year player transferred from Northern Colorado, Dalton connect against Auburn on, on Wednesday night. Remember this was a top 15 matchup, Bruce Pearl returning to Thompson bowling arena. So, you know, it is a wild environment Tennessee wins 92 to 84, but the story was this kid, Dalton Connect, okay? Kid was unbelievable in the midst of a season in which he has been absolutely unbelievable. And I would argue, given the stakes, given the opponent, given the fact that with the win, they are now playing for first place in the SEC at, Al- at Alabama on Saturday, I think you could argue this was his best performance of the year. 39 points for Dalton Connect, okay? Okay. How about this 24 in the second half and cover your ears producer Matt, who is an Auburn alum Dalton connect outscored Auburn 25 to 21 over the final 12 minutes of that game. So my stat isn't correct. It was 25 in the second half, 25 to 21. The Dalton connect outscored the Auburn tigers over the final 12 minutes of the game. So in the same way, that Reed Shepard became a national talking point on Tuesday night. Dalton Connect became a national talking point on Wednesday. And I want to ask the question because I think it's worth discussing. Why isn't Dalton Connect getting more conversation about national player of the year in college basketball? Should he be? And is there any chance that he can catch Zach Eady as your College Hoops national player of the year? I'm not sure it will happen but I don't think it's out of the question. I do think he deserves more respect. And oh, by the way, I think he has the chance to earn it over these next couple of weeks. Now, the question is, why is he not getting more respect? And I will readily admit this. It is because Zach Eadie is freaking awesome. Okay. So Zach Eadie, last year's national player of the year is back at Purdue for another year. And I think everybody knows Torres has been critical of Purdue, critical of some of the ways that Zach Eadie is refereed. But I think in our heart of hearts, we all agree he's a darn good college basketball player. This year, he's actually putting up better stats than a year ago in fewer minutes. 23 points, 12 rebounds. He's playing about a minute and a half less per game than he did a season ago. And so when I credit Dalton Connect, I also acknowledge like that dude, Zach Eady doing what he's doing for a team that has basically been in the top three all year. They have the head-to-head win over Tennessee. They have a great out-of-conference resume that includes wins over Arizona and whoever. I'm trying to remember everybody else. They beat Marquette and whatever. I get that Zach Eady is deserving right now of that National Player of the Year, and I'll take it a step further. I think there are times where you can be a great player and be great statistically, but you could also argue that somebody else is more valuable to their team in the way that Dalton Connect is valuable to Tennessee. The problem is, I don't think you can argue it in Zach Eadie's case. Like if you take Dalton Connect off Tennessee, Tennessee is kind of that good Tennessee team that we've seen, but not great. They don't score enough. They're going to struggle, but they're not the same as they are this year. The problem is it's the same argument with Zach Eadie. Purdue is certainly not a top three team in the country. They're certainly not a team that most believe can win or compete for a national championship. And I know they got to get to March. And once they get there, we'll see what happens. But I don't think you can argue that Dalton Connect has more value to his team than Zach Eady. So I get why more people aren't having the conversation. But I also do think it's at least worth having the conversation if he should be higher up and if there's anything he can do over these final few weeks to get there. First off, I do think he should be higher up. And the bottom line remains uh, that it's because he has completely changed who Tennessee is. By the way, hate to brag, you know it's not my style. But you know who called this exact situation? Your boy Torres did back in April when Dalton Connect committed to Tennessee. Uh, Producer Matt, pull up the tweet that I threw up. There it is right there. Dalton Connect, this is a tweet. This is what I put out on April 21st when Dalton Connect committed. Dalton Connect, who was one of the best players in the portal, just committed to Tennessee. You can criticize Rick Barnes for what has happened in the regular season but he has killed in the portal this week. This is the exact kind of player UT needed. That is Dalton Connect. And he's the exact kind of player that they needed because as I said at the time, he is a guy that can get you buckets any given time. And so I said that back in April. And to his credit, he is that guy and he has completely changed who Tennessee is. I think with Tennessee, the most incredible stat on Tennessee. So Tennessee, I just said it a minute ago, any Vol fan listening, you know, any college basketball fan listening, you know, is that through the years, I know Rick Barnes always gets blamed for everything, but they've had a lot of really good teams that were really physical, really tough, but they were as great as they were defensively. Did they have that dude that could get you a bucket when you needed it? There was one year they had Kennedy Chandler, and he was kind of that guy, but he was also like 5'10", a little bit smaller. But Dalton Connect and his ability to score, to put the ball in the basket, has completely changed who Tennessee is this year. First off, the stats on Dalton Connect are insane, okay? So just looking at some of the box scores, looking at some of the games that he has had, Dalton Connect is going into this weekend in the SEC, mind you, one of the toughest conferences in college basketball. 21 points per game, five rebounds per game. He's doing it on 41.5% three-point shooting. And if you look at the individual stats, they are that much more impressive. Just look at the stat sheet for this guy, okay? Uh, 37 points in a loss at North Carolina. 36 in a win at Georgia. 39 in a win against Florida. 39 on Wednesday night in a win against Auburn. So this guy is putting up absurd stats in one of the toughest conferences. And what stands out to me is that he is doing it as the focal point of every other team's scouting report. It's now March, essentially, as you're listening to this show. There is no sneaking up on anybody in March. He is the the focal point of every scouting report. He is getting everybody's best shot. And he's still putting up 25 to 30. And he's doing it within the flow of the offense. 48% shooting from three, 41% shooting from beyond the three-point arc. Heard Jimmy Dykes said on the broadcast, Jimmy Dykes believes he will be the first American-born player drafted in the NBA this year. I think there might be something to it, and I think this speaks to his National Player of the Year candidacy. Beyond that, as I've said, it fundamentally, him being in the lineup, completely changes who Tennessee is. And I just mentioned it, but it's worth reiterating here. Tennessee was a team that for years, if you could get 75 on them, they couldn't beat you. They couldn't break the 70, 72, 75 mark. Now, there's been years. Last year, there was the injury to Sakai Ziegler, et cetera. But I just bring it up because there have been years where the, the, the secret sauce with Tennessee is they're great defensively, but if you can put the ball in the basket, you can beat them. I found a stat to verify the impact that Dalton Connect has had because, how about this? In 10 of Tennessee's last 11 games, they have put up at least 80 points. 10 of their last 11 wins, I should say. Why is that impressive? It is because last year, in their final 11 wins, they put up 80 plus points one time, meaning every game was in the 50s and 60s. Look at these final scores. Beat Auburn on Wednesday night, 92 to 84 put up 86 on AM last weekend, put up 88 against Vandy, 92 at Arkansas, uh, 88 at L- against LSU, 103 at Kentucky. And so this guy has changed who they are, and I believe has elevated them into a legitimate national championship contender. Now, that's where it obviously gets interesting, because anytime anyone like myself says anything nice about Rick Barnes, you already know what happens. Oh, Torres, they stink. Rick Barnes is going to ruin everything. They'll never, ever have success. Well, first of all, the Rick Barnes can't win in March thing is so overblown. Two of the last four NCAA tournaments, he's made it to the second weekend, including last year when he didn't have a starting point guard, okay? So that's one. But two, when I look at Dalton Connect, I think he elevates this team. And listen, just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean that it can't happen and when I look at this Tennessee team, just because they've never made a Final Four, that's fine. I just don't think they've ever had a dude like Dalton Connect that can carry them. And so I don't think as of today, this second, he is your National Player of the Year. But two closing thoughts as I think about this. One, Tennessee certainly has the schedule to put it in the conversation. If Tennessee goes 3-0 and down the stretch, they play at Alabama this weekend, they play at South Carolina, and they play Kentucky to end the regular season. Those are, two of those three are super high-profile games. And then, of course, there's the SEC tournament. And then, usually after the conference tournaments, that's when we do National Player of the Year. If Dalton Connect blows up, if Dalton Connect puts up 38 at Coleman Coliseum this weekend and another 32 against Kentucky or 41 against Kentucky and 38 in the SEC Championship game, I think he's going to get into the conversation. And I think this is going to be one of those conversations that people look back and say, oh, Torres, you're an idiot. And then you actually see two, three weeks later, he is actually in the conversation. The other thing that I think is worth noting, and this is important, I don't think Tennessee fans care very much if Dalton Connect is National Player of the Year. But if he can, and I say that respectfully, I think Tennessee fans have seen it all at this point. They've seen draft picks. They've seen regular season titles. They've seen SEC tournament titles. And I don't think like, Winning a National Player of the Year is going to do much to excite the Tennessee fan base. But what I will also say, if Dalton Connect can get Tennessee to their first ever Final Four, tell you what, that goes from who cares if he won the National Player of the Year to an all-time program legend if he isn't already. So I think it's at least worth discussing. But at the same time, Dalton Connect, it's time to, I think, have the conversation if he's not in the National Player of the Year conversation, I think Let's keep it going with the college hoops conversation because on Tuesday night or Wednesday night, Dalton connect was the story of college hoops. He was great. He was awesome. He was incredible. There was a lot of really fun conversation about our old buddy Dalton connect. Of course, on Tuesday night, the story and the conversation and the guy that everybody was talking about was Reed Shepard from Kentucky. 32 points for Reed Shepard. Four of seven from three, a couple steals, couple blocks, seven assists, I think four rebounds. And most importantly, Reed Shepard, of course, hit a buzzer beater to beat Mississippi State. So it was an incredible game. We talked about it a lot on the post game stream. Appreciate all of you chiming in and tuning in and checking in because we had a lot of people on that post game stream. Truly appreciate everybody's support. Um, And what I want to also add is that as great as that was, what I find to be interesting is the conversation that happened after. Because after Reed Shepard had that night, after he hit that buzzer beater, I went on social media on Wednesday morning, and you know what I saw? I saw a tweet from Reed Shepard advertising a new NIL promotion with, I believe it's called Windstar Farms, which is a horse farm in Verzales, Kentucky. And I bring it up because I had a thought. Every time I see Reed Shepard on social media, he's got a new NIL deal, okay? And by the way, credit to him, that's a good thing. I'm not anti-NIL. I'm pro players getting paid, and I like NIL in the traditional form. Hey, you're a star, state kid, make your money. So take advantage of all your NIL opportunities, and I've seen a ton of them for Reed Shepard. I've seen him have autograph signings. I saw him do that TV commercial with Rob Dillingham for Donato's Pizza, which looked really good, by the way. What was it? What do you like? Banana peppers on his pizza? Not my favorite, but neither here nor there. He also had one with with the Dairy Coalition. So Reed Shepard is getting around in Kentucky. And again, as he should, he's an awesome player. We know his background, we know his parents played there. He should make all the NIL money he can. But I bring it up because. I put this out on Twitter on Wednesday. We did kind of a standalone segment on Twitter, or on YouTube, excuse me, on Wednesday night, where I asked the question, should Reed Shepard or will Reed Shepard at some point, will he make enough NIL money where it actually makes sense for him to come back for a sophomore year? Right now, Reed Shepard projected somewhere in the lottery depending on what mock draft you look like, anywhere from top five to the the back end of the lottery. But is there a scenario where he is going to make so much money as a college basketball player that he should at least consider coming back? So I put it out and I will say, even in the Kentucky community, it was a very divisive conversation. A lot of Kentucky fans said, Torres, you're an idiot. A lot of Kentucky fans said, Torres, we would love to see it happen, but it's not going to. And a select number of Kentucky fans said, hey, I think it's a conversation worth having. And so what I want to do now is dive in and explain why I don't necessarily think it is as crazy as others that Reed Shepard could come back for another year. And what I want to do, if you'll allow me, because I've heard all the reasons that it can't happen. What I'm about to do over the next few minutes, I'm basically going to be Eminem in 8 Mile I already know everything you're going to say about me. By the way, you could drop it in the comments if you want to. I don't care. But I already know all of your responses to why that is a dumb idea and a dumb conversation. So I'm going to go M&M and tell you why actually you're wrong. So first off, the number one argument would be, Taurus, there is no way that Reed Shepard could make more as a college basketball player than he can as an NBA player next year, especially if he's a lottery pick. And I think most people think he's going to be a lottery pick at this point. And what I would say is, well, that's true, but it's also not totally true because at the end of the day, NBA players don't make as much money as you think, at least on rookie contracts. Now, if you're in the top five, top seven, even top 10, you're going to make good money. But the fringes of the lottery, the back half of the lottery, you know, that like the number 14 pick in the NBA draft this year, which is the last pick of the lottery making $3 million this year. Now that's great money for me, probably for you, for virtually anybody watching or listening to this show. I don't think, though, that it is definitively more money than Reed Shepard could potentially make at Kentucky next year. So one, the NBA money isn't quite as good as you think it is once you get out of the top five. Two, I already know what you're going to say. Well, Torres, you're a freaking idiot because... NBA, you're just talking about the NBA salary. Reed Shepard could still have endorsements and the endorsements would trump, the endorsements plus the salary would trump what he makes at Kentucky, right? It's, it's, you know, NIL is endorsement money. There's no salary on top of that at Kentucky. And so if you factor in NIL at Kentucky versus salary plus endorsements, which is essentially NIL in the pros, well, I mean, the money isn't even questionable. It's not even comparable. Well, I would actually argue with you and say, I think Reed Shepard is a unique situation because I think Reed Shepard is one of the few players in all of college sports, college football and college basketball, that most of his NIL money is tied to him, not only being a college basketball player, but specifically being a college basketball player, Kentucky. Let me explain. There are plenty of college basketball and college athletes they're going to make money no matter what they're doing. I saw right before I came on air, Caitlin Clark is declaring for the NBA, uh, WNBA draft after the year. She's done four years. She has a COVID year. She's not going to take it. Caitlin Clark's going to make a crap ton of money no matter where she goes in the WNBA or if she stays in college. Is it more? Is it less? I don't know the economics of women's basketball. Forgive me. But Caitlin Clark's going to make a boatload of money. Zion Williamson had a $100 million shoe deal the second that he got out of Duke. Reed Shepard, though, is not going to have those big national spots the way that Caleb Williams did, the way that Caitlin Clark will, the way that Paige Beckers, the UConn women's player will, Angel Reese, whatever, Bryce Young. He's not going to have that. Most of his endorsement money, his NIL money, is tied to him being a Kentucky basketball player. It's no disrespect. It's not a bad thing. But at the same time, does Reed Shepard still have the same endorsement value if he's not at Kentucky, does he still have the same endorsement value? If he's the 14th pick of the Utah jazz and he's playing on their G league team. If he's the 11th man on the Minnesota Timberwolves, if he's in the G league for the Blazers or the Celtics or the Lakers or whomever, I think the answer is no. Finally. And I think this is important as well, because this is the number one thing that I heard. And I just think it's, it's not quite fake news but I think there's a misconception to it. And that is that I heard a lot of people say, well, Torres, it's not about the first contract. You want to get to the league as fast as possible to get to your second deal. Your second deal is where you make life-changing money. To which I would say, that is correct. The second deal is where you make life-changing money, but there's a big misnomer. There's a misnomer that you have to declare as early as possible to get to the second contract as early as possible. The problem is if you're not ready for that when if you're not ready, when you step into the league and you're not ready to contribute right away, you could get to that second contract and you're not ready to maximize it. And so the goal is not to get to the second contract. The goal is to get to the second contract in position to make the most money possible. I said this on the YouTube standalone. This was a Jim Calhoun staple. Jim Calhoun would always tell his players, it's not about getting to the second contract. It's about getting to the second contract and being in position to fully maximize. It is why if you go back to Jim Calhoun's time at UConn, basically all of his players, none of them really left before they were ready to step into the NBA and make an immediate impact. Ray Allen was at UConn for three years. Rip Hamilton was at UConn for three years. Um, a Mecca Okafor at UConn for three years, Ben Gordon at UConn for three years, Charlie Villanueva for two years when he could have been a one and done Rudy Gay for two years when he could have gone out of high school. And certainly after his freshman year, but Calhoun convinced these guys stay for an extra year. You will put yourself in better position in the long run. And I think that's something that Reed Shepard has to consider. All these guys have to consider. Now, if you're a top five pick and you're going to make $6 in your first year and $30 million over the course of your first contract, then yes, go. But once you get to even that top 10, top 12 range, and you're making this much in NIL, it's a conversation that's at least worth having. Because then, if you're the 14th pick this year, and you come back and you're insane, then you're a top three pick, and you made money in college, and you're going to make more money in the short term in the NBA and the long term when you're best prepared to take advantage of that second contract. And so those are the reasons that I think Reed Shepard has to consider it. And I know that he is because the athletic, my old buddy, Kyle Tucker, Kyle, I know you blocked me, buddy, but you did a good article today that I still read. And in it, his family basically laid all that out is that these are things that we have to consider as we get ready for, uh, for our decision over the next couple months. And so I think it's interesting. There are plenty, by the way, there, there are plenty of other reasons where Reed Shepard might think it's time to go. One, let's say you win a national championship. It ain't going to get better than that. You're not coming back. Two, I think, if listen, he's got to look at the roster next year. How do I fit? Does it make sense for me to come back or should I go? Maybe there's not going to be as much talent around me. Maybe I'm going to be the focal point. Everybody's going to focus on me. Now, Kentucky has a good team, but I think it's worth discussing. And he could also just want to leave with his friends. So I think these are all things that are worth considering for Reed Shepard. And I don't know what he's going to do. And I'm not going to pretend that I know what he's going to do. But I do think it is at least worth discussing, at least worth conversating. Um, And I think it'll be interesting to see what decision he makes. I don't think there's a right decision. I don't think there's a wrong decision. But I think it's probably a tougher decision than a lot of people give it credit for. Let's switch gears. And let's get to what should be a very fun weekend weekend. Of college hoops. It's funny because I I feel like on this show, um, the last three or four weekends, it feels like there's been a game, maybe two. I remember the weekend we had Auburn, Kentucky, and UConn versus Marquette. It felt like there's been weekends where there's a game or two. This week, four ranked matchups, and that doesn't even include Michigan State, Purdue, UConn, Seton Hall. There is a lot at stake, a lot of big games. Let's go ahead and dive in. I think this will be more of a quick-hitting type segment. I don't think we're going to spend eight, nine minutes on any of these games. But let's start with the big one. It is a top – how about this? A top what? Top 15 – I don't even know. All I know is there are two teams that are tied alone atop the SEC. Alabama and Tennessee, both sitting at 12-3, and a full game ahead of South Carolina – two games ahead of fourth place, Auburn, Kentucky, and Florida, who are all tied in in fourth place right now. And so I bring it up because we got ourselves a showdown at Coleman Coliseum. And I'll say this, I've never been to Coleman. I know that Jay Williams had some not nice stuff to say earlier this year, said that it was like a tennis facility or it was like a tennis match. It was, it was too quiet. I guarantee you, with Tennessee in town, with first place on the line in the SEC, I think Coleman's going to be rocking. I think Coleman is going to, to be the place to be. I want to see really quick if I can find some ticket prices because I have to imagine even for, for a venue like that. who buddy. Get in price as of fr- Thursday night is over 100 bucks, and this is Thursday. Wait till Friday. Wait till Saturday. This is going to be the hottest ticket that Tuscaloosa has seen Probably since something Nick Saban did. I don't know. Anyway, let's get to the game itself because what I think is interesting is the two best teams in this league, and I think it's a little bit different for both sides. Tennessee, we just talked about with Dalton Connect. Listen, I think what Tennessee has done this year is both impressive, but not totally surprising. Thought they were the best team in the preseason in the SEC. You saw my tweet about Dalton Connect. Thought that he could take this program to another level, which he has. Tennessee, as I said, they are scoring points in ways that they never have. Now, what's interesting is Tennessee is like an A-offense with an A-plus defense. Don't, by the way, don't be fooled by Tennessee. Like, they give up a lot of points, but they give up a lot of points because they're scoring a lot of points. They're still number two in the country in field goal percentage defense. They are still a very solid defensive team. Alabama, on the other hand, has just basically punted on even trying to get stops defensively. I mean, Nate Oates has kind of publicly said, like, we are just not even close to where we need to be defensively. And you can see that in their recent games. Uh, obviously, the one that stood out was Kentucky. They gave up 117 the other night, but they beat Ole Miss 103-88. They beat Florida 98-93 in overtime. They beat AM 175 100-75 a few Saturdays ago. And they beat LSU 109-92. And so just listen to those results. Here are their last six games in terms of the points that Alabama has given up. 99, 92, 75, 93, 117, 88. So Alabama, they're moving the ball. Yeah, moving the ball. It sounds like football. They're getting the ball up and down the court. They play really fast. They score a lot of points. And I think this will be interesting. And I think the stylistic advantage, the stylistic matchups have to favor Tennessee. It is worth noting, by the way, these two teams played at Thompson Bowling Arena early in SEC play. Tennessee won 91-71. to I expect this one to be more competitive, but I also do think Alabama could struggle because Alabama, listen, they lost to Kentucky, right? Game before that, they win in overtime against Florida at home. And then even on Tuesday night or Wednesday night against Ole Miss, they trailed by three at halftime. They got crazy hot in the second half and won. It's a credit to them, but this goes to what I've said about Alabama all year. And this is my take. This is my belief. Alabama fans are probably tired of hearing it. I think this is Nate Oates best coaching job because I look at this team. I don't think they're as good at any spot as they were a year ago. And so when I look at the Tennessee game, I think there are spots that Alabama has an advantage, but Dalton Canucks going to be the best player on the floor. No disrespect to Mark Sears. Tennessee has more size, they have more athleticism, uh, they play better defense. Can't say they shoot the three ball well, or or better, because Alabama is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. In terms of the game itself, listen, I expect it to be very high scoring, I expect it to be fast-paced, and I expect Alabama to give a great effort because they're going to be at home. I know that teams have not had a ton of success on the road this year. I'm going to have to wait to see a line bet US as we record on Thursday night into Friday, March 1st does not have a point spread out yet, but if I had to take a guess, I would say that Tennessee is going to win this game in what should be a very fun, very high scoring affair. Give me the Vols. I'll say 92 to 86. I think the Vols get the win. I've said since April, I've said since this roster came together that I believe Tennessee is the best team in the SEC. I obviously made my argument for Dalton Connect earlier in the show, and I expect Tennessee to get the win. Another interesting matchup, this one in the Big 12. Big game in Waco, Texas, baby. That is right. It's not just those two property husband and wife people that are doing big things in Waco. I hope you know what I'm talking about. There's an HGTV show based out of Waco. They're big Baylor fans. Anyway. That probably went over a lot of people's heads because I did not present it well. Anyway, Baylor against Kansas. Kansas number seven in the country. Baylor number 15. Another top 15 matchup. And this game's really interesting for a few reasons. Baylor is coming off a big Monday win in overtime against TCU to avoid the three-game losing streak. Kansas, meanwhile, and I don't know if I gave this enough credit in real time. They lost at home to BYU on Tuesday. And I don't think I gave it enough credit because I've kind of been down on Kansas for most of the year. I don't think they're as good as most people do. And Kevin McCuller, their star player, is not did not play in that game. But it was still BYU going to Kansas and getting a win. And I think I undersold just how big that is, just how important it is, just how significant it is. So credit to BYU, credit to them Cougars. You know, Torres loves those Cougars. But let's talk about Kansas for a second because Kansas is in a very interesting spot. So first off, both these teams are tied for third place in the Big 12. Nine and 6 in Big 12 play. Houston's ahead of them. Iowa State is ahead of them. What's interesting to me about this game, Kansas on the road. They are playing Baylor, a very good team. Kansas, if they lose this game, they will fall into a multi-way tie for fourth place in this league and there are certain teams that will they will not have tiebreakers against. BYU for example, they only play once. BYU is 8 and 7 in league play, Kansas is 9 and 6. If they were to lose this game, they'd be tied with BYU. I bring it up because I was thinking about this and I was talking to producer Matt before we went live. I don't know if there has ever been a season in which Kansas did not get the double buy into the quarterfinals at the Big 12 tournament. Now, how much does it really matter? I don't know. The tournament's in Kansas City. As somebody who made the drive from Kansas City to Lawrence earlier this year, I can tell you it's like a 25-minute drive. So there's going to be a million Kansas fans there. They're going to have the home court advantage, all of that. But at the same time, I don't think there has ever been a scenario where Kansas finished outside of the top four and had to play on Wednesday at the Big 12 tournament. So there's a lot at stake, and there's a lot of interesting narratives coming in, specifically the health of Kevin McCullough. As I said, it's Kevin McCullough, not Hunter Dickinson, is who is Kansas's best player. 19 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 35% from three, and he's been out for a while. But what I think is especially interesting about this is that Bill Self has had some interesting things to say about Kevin McCullough and maybe some insinuation that Kevin McCullough isn't rushing back to get back on the court. I don't want to put words in Bill Self's mouth. I'm not trying to create controversy. But listen to what he said before the BYU game about Kevin McCuller. He said, quote, Definitely will not play tomorrow. This is against BYU. He, 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 he then stressed the importance of having McCuller back before the end of the regular season, quote, If you start playing him after the Big 12 tournament, he won't be worth a crap in the NCAA tournament. Huh. That doesn't sound like a coach that's sitting there saying, this guy is itching to get back into the lineup. He's doing everything he can. And so it's a very interesting quote. um, And I don't think until we know what Kevin McCullough's status is that we can assume anything about this game. If he plays, I think it's a 50-50 toss-up. I would still probably lean Baylor. And then of course, if he isn't playing, then I think Baylor might be six to seven points better than Kansas. Won't be betting this game, won't be picking this game. Obviously, if you're watching this game or if you want to bet this game, make sure to monitor the health status of Kevin McCullough. But how about Bill Self? Got to basically say it as best player, who it's worth noting for people who don't know. He is an NBA draft prospect, probably a back end of the first round guy. And I think the insinuation is, is maybe he protecting himself for the NBA draft, that I don't know, but I find it very interesting, a couple other games, another top 20 matchup, Marquette at Creighton, Creighton of course, a very nice win over Seton Hall on Wednesday, weird 10 or so days for Creighton, they destroy UConn at home, then they lose to St. John's at MSG, then come back with a dominant win over the Seton Hall Pirates on Wednesday, they're hosting Marquette, you know Marquette, I'll tell you this man, like listen, I think that upper tier is Houston, UConn. I think you could throw Purdue certainly in there, maybe Tennessee. I don't think enough people are giving Marquette credit. You know that Marquette, quietly, they've won all but one game. Let me do some quick math here. 2 4 six, uh, 8 You know they've won 11 of 12 games. Their only loss in that stretch was that UConn debacle where they got embarrassed. But they beat a good Providence team by 22 on uh, on Wednesday night they beat a decent Xavier team by 24 they're killing everybody except for UConn during this stretch and I do wonder if maybe we're sleeping on them a little bit now we'll find out a lot about them at Creighton then they have UConn at home next Wednesday so you talk about two really big games two games that can keep them in the Big East title race or completely eliminate them I think that's where it gets interesting. Worth noting, by the way, if Marquette were to, were to lose this game, UConn, which plays on Sunday, would clinch a share of the Big East title. UConn is 15-2 and two in league play. Marquette is 13-4. and four. If Marquette loses, it means that UConn would be up three and they only have three games to go. So at worst, they would win a share of the Big East title. But I'll tell you, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be high scoring. I do give the advantage to Marquette. We don't have a point spread. I think Marquette wins. Last top 25 matchup of the weekend, South Carolina hosting Florida noon Eastern. Listen, I told you about the Florida Gators about three weeks ago. This is a very good team. They are playing really good basketball. I got to give Todd Golden credit, man. He's a young cat, very confident. Uh, Told you what he was going to do when he got to Florida. And this team's playing really good basketball. They've won five of their last six. Their only loss was in overtime to Alabama. And not only have they won five of their last six, they have won nine of their last 11 overall with some really good wins. At Kentucky, obviously, Rupp Arena. Auburn, they destroyed at home. They took care of Missouri on um, Wednesday night. That's not a great win, but they're taking care of business. They go to South Carolina. One thing I'll say about South Carolina, big win against Texas A&M on whatever it was Wednesday night. Um, South Carolina, listen, veteran team, and they are going to make you play their style of play. We don't have a point spread. I think this one's going to be a little bit more low scoring. South Carolina dictates pace. My guess is the point spread is or the over-under is probably going to be in like the high 150s, low 160s. Take the under. I don't want to give out a best bet, you know, 12 hours before the lines come out. But I think that one's a little bit more low scoring. A couple other interesting games. You know, Michigan State, Purdue, Friday, uh, Saturday Night Fox. Listen, Michigan State was supposed to be the, the, the toughest competition that Purdue had in the Big Ten, and it just has not turned out that way. Michigan State's 17-11, and 9-8 and 8 in the Big Ten, and there's a lot of people that I think are really frustrated with the state of Michigan State basketball. Lost at the buzzer to Ohio State last Sunday. They have not played since, but listen, they close at Purdue, Northwestern at Indiana. I think there is a scenario where they don't make the NCAA tournament. And Tom Izzo, you know, Calipari is kind of the guy that we get, like the older guy, what's wrong? He's slowing down. Like, has the game passed him by? I mean, Tom Izzo in Michigan State, they did make the Sweet 16 last year, but they have not been good in the regular season, really dating back to the 2020 season when it was canceled because of COVID. Got what was a a play-in team in the 2021 bubble tournament, 2022. They lost in the second round last year. They made the sweet 16, but even that was as like a seven seed this year. They're trending towards that eight, nine, 10 seed and just have not looked good. Don't think they're winning at Purdue. A couple other games and note. you know, interesting one in the WCC Gonzaga at St. Mary's. Now it's worth noting. We're recording here on Thursday night. Why that is important. Both Gonzaga and St. Mary's play on Thursday night. Gonzaga is at San Francisco. That is important because it is a quad one opportunity for Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is finally on the right side of the bubble, but they cannot lose on Thursday. But what's also interesting is that St. Mary's is at Pepperdine and St. Mary's can clinch the regular season outright if they win on Thursday night. So by the time many of you listen to this, you'll know. Gonzaga might be going to the WCC tournament for the first time in a decade as not the regular season champion. Now, the good thing for Gonzaga, they are on a heck of a roll since they lost to St. Mary's. They have now won seven in a row, including that win at Rupp Arena. They're finally on the right side of the bubble. Key for them, they got to win at San Francisco on Thursday. You'll know the result by the time you listen to this. And I think if they were to sweep these final two games at San Francisco, at St. Mary's, I think that pretty much ensures them that they're going to get an at-large bid if they don't win the conference tournament. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. But obviously, that'll be a conversation on Monday's show if they don't sweep these two games. And if they lose both of them, then they almost certainly go to their conference tournament needing to win. By the way, Gonzaga wraps their regular season on Saturday. So these are the final two regular season games for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Really quickly, Sunday, one game of note. UConn hosting Seton Hall that will be senior night for UConn. Uh, It'll be last game, last home game for Tristan Newton, last home game potentially for our buddy Hassan Diara. We'll be monitoring that one. They play Seton Hall. Remember Seton Hall? UConn's only got three losses all year at Seton Hall was one of them, so you know UConn's going to be fired up. I think that's really it for the big Saturday games. Oregon at Arizona is a big one. Arizona doing what they need to do in the Pac-12. They have a one-game lead over Washington State. If they win out, they will be the number one seed in the final Pac-12 tournament, and it's not an easy road. They have Oregon at home and then at UCLA, at USC, senior night for Arizona like it's senior night for UConn. So a lot at stake in college hoops. With that said, let's go ahead and wrap the show as we do every Thursday to Friday show with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. So people who are new to this show, one, yes, I stole this segment from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring this to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this. Torres said that. You should have listened to Torres. Torres never shuts up. And so every week on our Thursday, Friday show, we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, highlighting my best takes of the week, but also my worst takes of the week. Because when I get stuff right, I like to brag, but when I get stuff wrong, I need that slap on the wrist as well. So let's get to it. This week's edition Aaron right, Aaron wrong, best and worst takes of the week, where Aaron was right. So, I mentioned it off the top. I did not talk the college football playoff being on the verge of officially going to 14 teams. We talked about the 14 teams last week. It's going to be official at some point. But earlier in the week, Ross Dellinger reported that, look, we're going to settle on 14. And where I was right was everybody. Oh, we have to expand the playoff. We have to. And what I said was, as soon as we go to 12, we're not stopping at 12. Because as soon as we go to 12, the SEC is going to want more. And the Big Ten is going to want more. And I think the conference expansion only accelerated that. The Big Ten now has 18 teams. They're saying two, three teams in that tournament is not enough for us. The SEC added Texas and Oklahoma. Two, three teams is not enough for us. And so we're looking at a scenario where, according to Ross Dellinger, the 14-team model is going to include a minimum of four SEC teams and a minimum of four Big Ten teams. Listen. I'm not arguing that those aren't the two best leagues in college football. What I will argue, I don't think it's good for the health of college football. If four teams are given automatic bids, it devalues the regular season. It waters it down. The college football regular season will not be the same. And I keep saying it, but it is so crazy to me in this world where every single sport other than the NFL and other than college football is trying to get you to care about the regular season. College football is actively trying to get you to care less, which is what this is about. I was okay with 12, but once we went to 12, we opened Pandora's box. I thought we'd at least get a year or two, but no, 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 no. We're not, as it appears as though we are set to expand to 14 even before we get to 12. Where Aaron was wrong. So I saw an interesting comment, Dallas Turner, the Alabama uh, star defensive lineman, at the NFL Combine. By the way, NFL Combine is kicking off here on Thursday and Friday. We'll probably have some sort of reaction on Monday's show. But I bring it up because Dallas Turner had some very interesting comments about Nick Saban and his retirement. He was basically asked, did, did you see this coming? And what Dallas Turner said was interesting. He said, from my freshman year to my junior year, I kind of seen a lot of changes and stuff like that. I wasn't surprised, but how it went about, I was kind of surprised. He probably would crack a lot more jokes and stuff, stuff like that. It started to be more player-led. It was always player-led since I've been there, but you could tell the players really had a lot of say, and he was more open to a lot of ideas and what the players had to say about stuff, but it was all good, though. So where Aaron was wrong, listen, I thought Saban was going to coach to the day he died. I did not see this coming. I've said it a million times. I was at the Rose Bowl, Nick Saban's final game, which is a really cool thing for me to be a part of. But I bring it up because I was around all that Alabama media. There was no one anywhere in that facility that believed it was Nick Saban's final day, at least from the media perspective. But apparently Nick Saban's players believed that he was getting towards the end. I hope you're enjoying retirement, GOAT. Hope you're enjoying retirement, Nick Saban. By the way, Alabama kicks off spring practice with Kalen DeBoer on Monday. And so who knows? Maybe we'll have a conversation on that. Where Aaron was right. So another story that producer Matt sent to me, we didn't have time to talk about it in the bigger picture, but I thought it was interesting and worth discussing here. Did you see where Brad Brownell, head coach Clemson Tigers basketball, said that he believes the Big 12 has manipulated the net to get more teams into the NCAA tournament? Interesting comments, but I bring it up because this is what I've been saying about the Big 10 for years. The Big Ten, everyone says, why is it always overrated? Why do they always get the most teams and all their teams stink once they get to the tournament? And I said, it's because they found a way to manipulate the net. And I truly believe it. The Big Ten, in general, plays the most games against power conference teams. They play those Thanksgiving tournaments. They play the Gavit games, which is kind of a Big East Big Ten challenge. Up until this year, they played the Big Big Ten ACC challenge. And so what ends up happening is even if you lose those games, it looks better in the computers. Everybody is ranked higher going into league play. And guess what happens? When everybody's ranked higher in league play, now when you lose in league play, it doesn't look as bad. And so with the Big 12 stuff, I thought it was interesting because it wasn't exactly that. But this is what I've been saying about the Big 10 for years. You can draw a direct line between when the Big 10 went to 20 league games, giving them even more power conference games, and when they started getting 8, 9, 10 bids per year. So I've been all over this for years. The net to me is a flawed system, a flawed number, a flawed whatever. And I know there's no perfect answer, but I've been saying for years, this bad boy has been manipulated. And Brad Brownell, my brother in arms, don't even know Brad Brownell, but I agree with him, where Aaron was wrong. So about two weeks ago, I was like everybody else in the College Hoops media. I said it's Purdue, and Yukon, and everybody else who's number 3, and I think I said Arizona. Now this isn't a, a knock on Arizona, but I did not give enough credit to Houston. Houston is freaking awesome. They're destroying everybody in Big 12 play year 1 in this conference. It's not supposed to be this easy. You're not supposed to be able to go from the AAC where you're playing East Carolina and whoever, I you know, whatever, Tulsa to going to Kansas and to, to, to whatever and winning this league, only that's exactly what they're doing. As I said, they started 1-2 in league play. They're now 12-3, and three, meaning they have won what? 11 of their last 12, 11 or whatever, their last 12 in league play. Their only loss at Kansas, that's unbelievable. So I didn't give Houston enough credit. And the crazy part with Houston, I think they're just finally starting to reach their full potential because they're getting more out of L.J. Cryer, the star transfer from Baylor. So credit to the Cougars. Love my Cougars. Did not give them enough credit. They are really good, and I think they're as good as anybody and have as good a chance as anybody to win the national championship. Well, Aaron was right. So look, a couple weeks ago when Kentucky lost to LSU, I said, I think this is a turning point. I think this team figured out that they have to show up for a full 40 minutes or they are not going to be able to reach their ultimate goals. Bring it up, what happens? Destroy Alabama, take care of Mississippi State on the road. I'm not saying this team is perfect. I'm not saying they're unbeatable, but I do think they have turned a corner. I think it is official. I think they can play with. I think they can beat anybody. I think they can score on anybody, and I think they understand what it takes from a defensive mentality, from a toughness standpoint, to take care of business against the best teams. Credit Kentucky. I believe they've turned a corner. I believe they are as dangerous as, as anybody in college basketball. Where Aaron was wrong. Listen, you know who's not dangerous? Texas A&M basketball. And it's crazy because I was, like everybody else, I was a huge advocate of the Buzz Williams hire. Had just gone to a Sweet 16 at Virginia freaking Tech. Was coming off the first three-year NCAA tournament run in Virginia Tech history, this after making multiple Sweet 16s and an Elite 8 at Marquette. Home run hire. It's all going to work out. Well, guess what? They've now lost five straight games this year to fall to 15 and 13. And what's interesting is this is year five for Buzz Williams. They have made one NCAA tournament and they have zero NCAA tournament wins to show for it. Compare it with the other guys who came in the same year as him. Eric Musselman. This is year five for him at Arkansas. He has three NCAA tournament appearances, two elite eights, three sweet 16s. Nate Oates. This is year five for him. They are obviously going to make the tournament this year, so it'll be, what, four straight NCAA tournaments, two SEC regular season titles, two SEC tournament titles, could get one of each beyond that. Buzz Williams, listen, I know he's had some tough breaks. They were the first team out two years ago. 2020, the tournament is canceled because of COVID. They were playing well, but this is year five, and we're talking about one NCAA tournament burst, zero NCAA tournament wins. That is simply not good enough. Really quickly, let's wrap where Aaron was right, uh, Rick Patino, my buddy Big Rick Energy, everybody was saying, oh, he's too old. You can't be calling your players fat and unathletic and slow and weak. And I said, I think they'll be okay. They're, they're, they're big boys. Well, what has happened since Rick Patino called his team fat, slow, and weak? They've won three straight games. They won on Wednesday night at Butler. That was after beating Creighton. The other day, and they have another road win against Georgetown over the previous couple of days. So they have now won three straight games. They are very firmly back on the bubble. And here's the good thing: they have two very manageable games to close out the rest of the regular season as they play in their final two at DePaul and Georgetown at home. Why that's important? If they can take care of those wins, remember everybody else is playing tough teams. These other teams that are on the bubble—they're playing each other, whether it's Providence, whether it's Butler, whether it's Ole Miss, whether it's Texas A&M. St. John's just has to keep winning because everybody else is going to lose games around them. Now they have a disadvantage because the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden those count as home games, so they won't get credit for neutral wins if they do if they do win games there. But listen, Rick Patino's doing Rick Pitino things. I think St. John's is going to find their way into the tournament three straight wins at DePaul and Georgetown coming up. I think they can be on a five-game winning streak going into the Big 12 tournament, big, big East tournament, excuse me. Finally, where Aaron was wrong, I wasn't really wrong on this, but I gave Wake Forest a ton of credit after they beat Duke in the big court-storming drama of 2024. But at the same time, everybody saying, oh, they just clinched a tournament bid. And I said, yeah, they probably did. But the one caveat, and I hate saying that teams clinch automatic bids before they actually have, You can't take bad losses, and Wake Forest lost at Notre Dame on Wednesday night. That is a bad loss. That is going to hurt them. I think they're probably, again, on the outside looking into the bubble with three games to go. The good thing is at Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Clemson, they have a chance to get right going into the ACC tournament. But I told you, don't oversleep on them. But I also said I think they were in, and they clearly weren't. All right. That was a long, fun adventurous Friday Aaron Torres pod Thursday night, but I think it is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon music, Google music. If you're listening on YouTube, click the little like button, click the subscribe button, put on alerts. We're going live every single day, every single week, not quite every single day, but you get the make sure you're subscribed. By the way, UConn fans, DR will be back next week. So that's exciting. And we have some really big things coming up for March that I am excited to share with you in in the coming days. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for following. By the way, you want to help out Taurus, our partners, BetUS, 125% deposit bonus for your first three deposits. Thank you to BetUS. Link is in the show description. That's all for today's show. Appreciate everybody's support. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, check out the Merchandise Store. We got a lot of good stuff. AaronTorres.online.com. Torresonline.com slash merchandise. Our Marches for Day Drinking shirts, they're a hit. They're a hit. Make sure to order yours now. You'll have it in time for day one of the NCAA tournament. Time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. We'll be back on Monday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF that unblock me, bro. I will be back on Monday. And there is no doubt we'll have plenty to talk about. See everybody.